Hello, I'm your host, Steve Vitti. Welcome to On The Edge, a technology-driven podcast missing casual discussion and expert interviews. Each episode will be exploring a new and emerging technology with the purpose of educating our audience, speaking about the societal impacts, and predicting what our world could look like in the future. Every aspect of our lives is slowly becoming dependent on an internet connection. From our smartphones and computers to our doorbells and our house lights. Technology is making every aspect of our lives easier. Smart home products are convenient, yes, but they come with an unavoidable risk towards our individual privacy and security. As the world becomes entrenched in a new internet landscape, people and systems that fall behind the curve are becoming prime targets for cyber attacks and fraud. In security, there's, you're always vulnerable. Okay. You're never secure. There's yeah. no way of being secure. You're always attempting, as a security person, the only thing that you need to do is be able to mitigate risk. Mm-hmm. So making yourself more secure, there's no way that you'll ever be completely secure. Because like I said before, attackers are learning new things. They're, they're changing things all the time. Um, and with the prospect of human error, there's no way that you can, that you can be totally secure. This podcast is accompanied by quotes from Spencer Clark, a senior information security analyst at Scotiabank. I sit down today with my co-host Tyler Young to express our thoughts and anxieties about an advancing internet world. How are you doing, Tyler? I'm doing great. Um, so thanks for joining me today. We got a pretty cool topic for today. And we're doing it in a pretty cool way because with this COVID-19 situation, we are recording remotely. Yes, yes, we are. More reliance on the internet as we talk about the privacy and security problems of it. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Interesting set of circumstances we found ourselves, <laughs> especially with this topic. Yeah. So, so just a, a little bit more of a general idea of what we're going to talk about today. The main tech that this is reliant on, or I guess the focus of this is on, is smart homes and smart home products. So, and what that stems from is the idea that everything in our lives is being consumed by the internet. And though it's making it more convenient, it's making it less um, secure and threatening our privacy. Correct. So that yes. stems into a bunch of other bigger uh, topics and concerns that we're going to go into, but that is the gist. And I wonder from you if you have any general, um, I guess, thoughts about what we're going to talk about. Are we talking specifically about cybersecurity and the risks about it, or do you want me to talk specifically to the smart home? Because well, I got opinions can, on both yeah, that I can, I can kind generally, of because I know a lot of this is going to come out a little bit later, but I just wanted to know if you have any overarching ideals about this whole concept of cybersecurity or, or internet privacy. I think that internet privacy is, I think it's an incredibly important thing that people overlook, like way too frequently. I think that, you know, like we don't consider the fact that we're putting our information out onto the internet and that is open to anybody to uh, take and use as their will and to bend and mend. Um, and it, it, it becomes really interesting to me because it's like we're so open to sharing our information nowadays with, for example, Snapchat, Instagram, um, and even TikToks. Snapchat has a location built in feature where you can open up a map of the world and your friends, whoever you're connected to uh, through the application can find out where your location is at any given moment. Right. And that's obviously if you have that open, but some people don't even know that's a function. Right. That in itself could be really scary because it's like how I can figure out where my friends are on the planet. If someone has my uh, friend, code on snapchat or i'm friends with them on snapchat and they have a you know malicious intent to find out where i am what i'm doing they could do that at any given moment and i think that's a terrifying idea or being able to track where i've been through for example google maps because that's a that's a function as well right i think it's a part of the efficiency uh, of the 
internet age, I think that working towards all that is really, really interesting of the possibilities can, can come up as a result of it. But I think it's also terrifying at the same time. Yeah, like even ways you can like ha- you can share your drive with friends on that app and they can see exactly where you are coming down the road. And it's curious kind of who else has access to that information and if it's ever saved. And it's one of those things where you can never really know because what those tech companies do with that information is basically within their own power to choose. And though they might say it's not malicious, who really knows? Um, what I'm curious about you, because you like you even brought up the Snapchat map. I'm yes. curious how many, like, what do you think is a bigger issue? People being uneducated about the fact that that's happening or people not caring? I think... I think complacency is the the scarier thing. Mm-hmm. I think if you, I think a lot of people know that it exists. Right. Right. I from I for myself. Right. Know it exists, but it took a conversation with a friend of mine to realize. Yeah, I I just it's four a.m. I just figured out where you are. If I had the wrong intentions, I could I can mess you up. Right. Like I could do some bad stuff, and it's it's not that this person would actually do it. It's just you got to consider what's going on in your day to day. Right. And that, that to me was really terrifying of a, of a realization to have. I think that when it comes to something like Google, right, a mass corporation who has so much power and has access to all of these people's um, day-to-day, right, for, through Google Maps, and I use that as my specific example for the moment, if they can track where I am at through my LTE and how I'm traveling, they can get a figure of my routine, right? So if my routine has I'm going to school at 8 a.m. every single day, Monday to Friday, coming home at 6 p.m. around the same route, then someone in the world, if they track and analyze that data, can realize I'm not home in my house. My house is potentially unguarded from this time to this time, right? And again, it comes down to malicious intent. Someone shares that information. It gets down to someone on, for example, like the dark web. Where it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? Let's just go rob this guy. Then next thing you know, my house, my computer, my TV, you know, all of my belongings, family heirlooms, they're gone. Just because someone had the malicious intent and was smart enough to figure out how to track all that data and analyze it. Well, yeah, well, like, honestly, it's probably not even hard to figure out how to track it. It's probably already, like, your routines are probably already considered when it comes to, like, the algorithms. Like, you know, like, when you, like, I don't, you don't drive. But Google Maps specifically, if you get into a car a specific time, it'll ask you, "Are you going home? Would you like to go home?" And and that's oh, using I, I've, I've had I've had that yeah. I've had that with uh, with with Google Maps. But when it comes to like, uh, what do you call it? With regards to my bus routes, mm-hmm. right? So I'll open up the map, and the first thing I'll see is a home button. And I'm like, I just click straight to it because <laughs> right? it knows it'll give your me routines. the exact route. It knows exactly, and it's. Interesting because that's used for convenience, but what else can it be used for is the question, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree right. with a lot of what you're saying, man. It's uh, interesting. It's 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 a scary it's a scary concept yeah. because I don't know what information is where and, and the, who's going to be using it in what yeah, way. And the one last thing I want to ask before we get down more nitty gritty stuff is, do you think that the conveniences that we are gaining? are worth the privacy we're giving up. Does that make sense? Like, do you think that the conveniences that come from our um, willingness to give up our data is worth the conveniences that they offer? I think, I think that, I don't think that the conveniences are worth it. I think that that's the direction that we are headed, right? With uh, regards to like app creation and, uh, the internet fuck <laughs> chopped I yo like, I hate that my rhythm got thrown off by that okay <laughs> let me start again Take I do not know. think that fuck you <laughs> I'm sorry chopped. I actually said that the wrong time I like when you say chopped I know when to chop <laughs> yeah <laughs> I do not think that um fuck I'm I'm, I'm so just say what you think so want me to ask it again bro so yeah, so I don't think that, like, when privacy, especially with how important it is to, say, for example, myself, or if you're a more important individual in the world, that privacy is not worth the convenience, mm-hmm. right? 
Because what ends up happening is it comes down to that complacency I was talking about earlier that I'm not going to care about sharing my information out on the web or sharing my information to malicious people or or even consider it because I'm getting my life to be made easier. So when I my life is made easier, I can kind of ignore all the bad things that are going on, right? Like all the the, the all the benefits are being streamlined straight to me. And my mind can create this wall where I don't look past that wall to see all the things that can make this scarier for me, right? And it's, it's to me, really interesting. That's kind of a thought. <laughs> Is that a thought? I'll say that what I, I say think, anything? if that's okay. Say what you think. Okay. Yeah, so say what I you think. I think it comes down to that idea of why should I care about my privacy when I have nothing to hide? I don't do anything wrong. There's no one that's looking for me. I'm not breaking any laws. But then at the mm -hmm. same time, if that's the case, should privacy still matter? And that's, I think, a really big question of whether our privacy is something we need to defend regardless of whether we're actually needing to hide something or not. And I think yes, because as individuals, I think we have a right to use technology as it is being developed in a way that doesn't compromise the things that make us feel secure and make us feel safe while we live our lives. Mm -hmm. The, like the toss up is, is that this tech is free. So they need to make money somehow. And our information is how they make their money. And then it becomes this uh -huh. whole other conversation is, um, Am I willing to pay for this kind of technology? And then at the same time, it's like, well, why would these new technologies and these tech companies even want to sell you that kind of idea when they can make way more money with your information? Did you want to explain the Internet of Things thing again? Sure. I think so that was super interesting. The Internet of Things is is anything that can connect to the Internet. So um, I'm trying to think of a few examples here. Of So obviously smart homes is one that, that connects directly to an Internet connection and then can essentially run your home mm -hmm. through light switches that connect to the Internet, through you know Google Homes or Alexas or whatever it is. Um, things like... Uh, mag locks on doors those those have to have some sort of connection to actually be able to work so that it can read your card when you swipe in and out of somewhere um what's some more things that uh, like bluetooth i think you were saying before bluetooth is, is definitely something that can that can be leveraged to gain access to it it's not uh, it's not common and it's something that you, it wouldn't be your first, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be an attacker's first point of entry to try and gain access to something. Even Would you even think like Tesla's, like they know that oh, the yeah. other cars that now have LTE, right? Mm -hmm. So like even those are vulnerable in that oh. sense? Let's okay. just talk but about this idea that everything connected to the internet is not only a threat to your privacy, but to your security. And how do you feel about that knowledge? That's terrifying. <laughs> like just clean and simple like as a consumer who's i would say reasonably dependent on things that are connected to the internet especially like for example as simple as my google home right that is my alarm in the morning right that is the thing that you know i play music off of that's the thing that tells me the temperature and what you know like my route to the school is going to look like and how long my estimated time of revival might be right if something that i'd say i'm relatively dependent on and that's not even considering the phone my Google Home is like not used nearly as much as my phone. It's a very scary prospect to know that that in itself could be a threat to my privacy. That's a really interesting idea. Um, I'm curious how much of your life is a part of this idea of the, of the Internet of Things? Because I'll speak for myself first. So I have a phone. I have a sure. laptop. I have a smart TV. I have a smart home. I have another PC at my mother's. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Yeah. My my f car has Bluetooth connection. I don't know if that's actually relevant. Um, yeah. What about you? Anything? Oh, uh, the other thing. My whole house is hooked up to smart lights. So okay. everything runs off an app. I can turn off all my driveway lights because my brother set it all up 
from my phone and that's yeah. a thing and even the cameras that run all of my house they're all wi-fi enabled yeah i think i think for me personally if you're gonna ask me the question of how you know like my my home is it's not as um dependent on things that are connected to the internet but my personal life is mm-hmm. completely dependent on the internet all my school work, all my work work, and all of my personal information, a lot of it is saved to Google Drive and to Google Folders and Google Documents, right? All that information that might one might consider, um, I wouldn't say sensitive because it's work, but you know, it relates back to me and my day-to-day life is all connected to the internet in some way, shape, or form. Most of my day-to-day is sitting at my computer, right? Whether that's for work, leisure time, or productivity time, etc., a lot of it is connected to the internet, and as a result, if my thing that is a supplement to the entirety of my life is a threat, that's terrifying. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing is like, what's more secure, having something on your hard drive or in the cloud? And you could debate either one could be more secure. Like, it's whichever system you put more effort into actually keeping safe. Because yeah. if you're just opening malware all the time on your lap <laughs> who knows how secure your hard drive is and then if you have exactly. a horrible password on your cloud device that's like one two three four that's anyone can get into that or it's your birthday like any hacker can figure out how to get into that right you can't expect things to be private anymore nothing is private there are private things like you i mean there's no if you don't have cameras in your home then you can probably feel pretty safe that no one's going to watch you get changed or something like that but what you say is it's hard to imagine that if you have a google home or you have a smart home or you have a smartphone that what you say is private because it's not i mean you will talk about something and then you can go on your phone onto a social media page and there's an ad for that specific thing that you talked about or that specific thing that you texted yeah, is that real of course it is that's terrifying it, it's, it's 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 um uh what's that what's the it's uh it's a it's a form of pinpointed advertising so it's, it's based it's on your browser history the things targeted that advertising targeted that? advertising yes <laughs> so based on the things that you browse the things that you type the way that you browse the internet, it will change. And if you are somebody that, for example, really likes, you know, video games, mm-hmm. you're going to get a whole lot more ads for video games. If you're somebody that's always on travel websites looking to book vacations to go away, you're going to get more advertisements for traveling. And it's just the way that people do things so that you they get more, you know, throughput on their websites. So I want to begin with this question. Please, I'm excited to talk about that because <laughs> I actually have things. To How say about often this. do you notice social media sites or just ads in general being targeted towards you? Like, how often do you do you ref- all the time, right. every day? Okay, I do too. Like every every moment. And then, um, how does that make you feel? How does it make me feel? Yeah. Well, there's there's two there's kind of two sides to this coin. Um, there's the consumer coin where it's like. If I am looking for something, right, I'll take the example of a drawing tablet for my computer, for my PC. I've been researching that because I've been getting interested into digital art. As a result, I've been doing research on different tablets, right, from Wacom to Huan or whatever other options exist. I am getting more and more ads towards drawing tablets and illustration-based programs, um, art schools, etc., for that topic. The consumer in me is saying, wow, my, the internet knows me so well that I'm getting all the different information I need to better myself. So I'm satisfied, I guess you can say, because I, now I'm getting what I want, essentially. You know, I've been doing all this research. Someone's doing the research for me. If I'm hungry and my Google Home picks up that I'm hungry and I get a Skip to Dishes ad and it gives me a $5 coupon, I'm kind of getting what I want at the end of the day. Hmm. The consumer in me says, this is cool. I like this. But the concerned version of myself who's aware of the privacies, right? And I guess it comes down to this conversation about convenience versus privacy. Um, I would get concerned because these are, this is information that I don't think that other people should know. 
and the fact that the internet can pick it up, put it into an algorithm, and send it all the way back to me, and it goes full circle, is absolutely terrifying once you know how it works. But the thing is, not a lot of people know that's how that works. What bothers me is that it's when it comes down to it, it's very um, direct. It's not dynamic. Like, my ads are so narrow because like say i look at like jack and jones clothes one time all of my ads on instagram become jack and jones and it's like that isn't the only thing i give a stuff give a hell about give care about <laughs> give a hell about <laughs> that's not the only thing i'd care about and what you're doing is you're just trying to shove a product down my throat and forcing me to eat it but as human beings i think we are turned off by that idea you want us to feel like we're finding a good deal. You know what I mean? You want the consumer to feel like they've cracked some kind of secret thing when they buy something uh, because they want to feel good about buying it. They don't want to be forced or manipulated into purchasing something. And in a lot of ways, the targeting advertising, the targeted advertising turns me away from the specific products that they're trying to get me to buy. Or they'll just I think be recycling things that I've already bought. Has that ever happened to you? Um, That has happened to me, yeah. I have definitely had Amazon ads on Instagram <laughs> that are re recycled stuff that I've already bought. Yeah. Like, I bought this microphone, and then like it, I'm getting another ad for the same microphone. Which in itself could be interesting because they're taking information where it's like, if you reviewed this microphone really, really highly... Maybe that means if you're creating a studio, you might be potentially interested in another one. That's true. Or if you have a friend who's been looking for a microphone for their system, for their studio, etc., they might be interested, and you've had this conversation a week later, oh, I love this microphone. This microphone is so good. The interface, it works so well, blah, blah, blah. Then that conversation comes up. It's like, wow, it's still on Amazon. It's still available for purchase. Maybe this is something I should show to my friend because maybe there's a deal that's going to happen, yeah. right? Maybe it goes on sale. Targeting advertising, though, I feel could be much better. I don't know. If you're going to do something like that, if you're going to invade my privacy, you can at least um, have a little bit more understanding of the products I might be interested in and then go beyond what you hear me talk about or what you see that I'm looking up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Give me it's all, new it's, suggestions. It's all it's algorithms. Right. It's all algorithms, right? Like it's it's all preset set up by a computer and then it's 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 it, it's incredibly inhuman, yeah. right? Like it's it's just created. Um the reason I think it's really interesting for targeted advertisement is because I was supposed to be an intern with a uh, marketing company that did research based analytics through um I believe it was Facebook's analytics, um, the way that they do the way their algorithms work mm -hmm. and these people make a lot of money by selling to local companies right they create templates and algorithms dedicated to specifically what other people are buying and they're inserting um the local companies that go to this company right mm -hmm. or this marketing agency it goes through it and i think that's super super interesting because the first time i heard of this i had no idea what this guy was talking about <laughs> but then as i did my research and i realized all the information that even your phone can pick up, right? Even if it's locked, it'll still pick up information and then you'll get an advertisement for it moving forward. It's incredibly interesting. Do you, would you rather those, okay, I'll ask you this question. Do you, do you think that the target advertising is beneficial to you or would you rather it be random? I would say it's beneficial. I do too. I think it's especially, better than what you'd yeah. get otherwise. Because mm -hmm. at least um, when I'm cycling through Instagram, I don't have to see things that are completely unrelated to me. If I'm going to get bombarded by ads, it might as well be an ad that might be relevant to me. Yeah. Like, I don't need, I don't need ads for, like, washing machines right. and stuff. Like, I don't I – don't, like, but when I'm getting ads for things that I'm interested in or that I'm already, like, researching, I don't see that as a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I think that as – I see it as, oh – I'm looking through things that I'm interested in, and then, oh, I can look at another drawing tablet. Click on it. Look at it for 30 knowing seconds. What you oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. For me, knowing what you search for is one thing, but hearing what you're saying, I think, is something most people don't know is really happening. And I'm curious to you if you think that is an invasion 
of the possibilities that your phone has. You know what I mean? Like it's that's taking the technology too far. I think, I think it kind of is. I agree. I truly do because, believe. And yeah, then I the, think that's a lie. But then at the same time, it's so ridiculous because it has to. It's one of those things where it's like your Google Home, how it works is that it's always listening. It's listening okay. for the cue, right? It's listening for the, okay, Google, or hey, Alexa, for the Amazon ones. So regardless, the technology these mic has to be on at all times. But they're making a conscious decision to actually take in that data that you don't think is relevant to what it's hearing. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where I don't think a lot of people know that. And I wonder if there, I'm, I'm sure there's a way you can opt out of that kind of thing, but yes, I believe there is. That's the kind of magic of the technology world is that you don't tell anybody things that they don't really need to know. And then they don't care about it. (laughs) Oh, absolutely, because how are they going to know that this is something that they should be concerned about? Right. They don't. And it's one of those things where it's like, all they care about is, does the tech do what I'm It's, I'm paying for it to do? You know what I mean? I paid for a product. Is it doing what it's advertised to do? It is, then I'm happy. And then you don't look deeper into how these people are making the bulk of the money. Exactly, yeah. Um, any final thoughts Lots on of- targeted advertising? For me, I think it's... It's one of those things that I am annoyed by, but I kind of take it in a stride. You know what I mean? I'm not going to lose my sleep over it. I'm willing to live with targeted advertising. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind it. I'm concerned about, you know, like having my phone and my Google Home constantly listening to me. But I, there's nothing I can do about it because, again, it's this convenience of being able to say, hey, Google and then something happens, right? Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So in, in terms of being private in today's world, it's not very reasonable to assume that you can have privacy. People feel better when they think that they have privacy. And that's what a lot of companies and and institutions will do is they'll make you think that what you are doing is private and what you're doing, nobody else can see. And that could be true. It could not be true. And it's different for everything. Um, But with smart homes and smartphones and targeted advertisements and things like that, the way that it, everything is tailored to you as an individual. It's very, very difficult to assume at all that there's a lot of what we do on the internet itself is private. You can walk down the street, especially, you know, in Canada, um, and, and probably feel pretty safe to assume that there's not going to be a bunch of cameras always watching you and seeing your every move. Um, you know, we don't have chips in our arms or anything watching our every, every move, but how, how the governments do that in other countries um, and, and even here with the internet. The internet is a big thing. You're never safe when you're browsing on the internet and that's <laughs> something that I want to stress big time. You're never safe when you're browsing on the internet. VPN, incognito, you know, whatever you're doing, you're not safe on the internet. So, you know, just use caution and and don't ever assume that what they see is or what you see is private. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. What I'm gonna do is gonna pose the question I gave to Spencer to you, and I'm gonna answer it myself too. So, is it reasonable Please. for us to expect privacy in this new internet world? I don't think so. I don't think that's a reasonable. Thing, I agree. I think consumers. <laughs> I I think consumers are just gonna because we get sold this idea of privacy that you don't think too hard about whether or not like it truly is private. You know, like all these big companies and corporations step into the limelight saying, you know, like we work really, really hard at maintaining cybersecurity to keep trackers and infiltration and keep malware, et cetera, away. But, and that's all great. I'm glad that that exists, but it's, it's really hard to say that that information and the privacy that we have isn't being used in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. What is, do you think that there is a wrongful perception of privacy in today's like world society 
wrongful wrongful perception what do you mean by wrongful like do you perception? think that how we think we, like do you think that society's um perception so the society's standard of privacy meets what is possible in today's internet world like a- like i think i think if you were to look at it like 10 15 years ago privacy was like no one knows what's going on in my life whatsoever right like maybe the most they'll know is like um the type of magazine that might show up at the my front door but information is so spread out and connected nowadays that i think that it has people have to think nowadays that everything is connected that my information if it's on instagram is going to relay back to facebook and that's going to relay back to my amazon ads etc i think that's how it works but it, it's a question to me of whether or not people actually recognize yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's one of the things that really curious to me is because when I look at all this information, I don't think it's reasonable for us to have privacy. And I think that we have to sacrifice mm. that if we want these conveniences. But for me, I'm curious how many people sign up for these products and are they, are they thinking, do they believe that they have privacy? And I think a lot of people do. And I think a lot of people have a lot of faith in these tech companies. And that yeah. to me is a little bit naive, but it's almost kind of the only way to go about it because at the end of the day, ignorance is bliss. And if you want to live in a world and feel safe, you kind of have to take things in a little bit of a benefit, um, I guess like selfish way. Self-serving. Yeah. Self-serving, yeah, self-serving kind of mindset. Yeah. I, I, I think I agree with that because I, I would say this, my grandmother has Amazon prime <laughs> and she uses Amazon video, etc. And she could be concerned less about privacy, right? Right, right. She does. It does not matter to her whatsoever. If I ever brought up the idea of targeted advertisements to her, she's just like, "It's great. I get ads for the things that I want when I'm on Facebook," and she doesn't care. Right. It's just to me that's interesting. Because <laughs> why would she care? Is that relevant? Yeah, exactly. Why would she like, care? What are you gonna, but that's the thing. It goes back to that comment I made almost like, when you have nothing to hide, why am I going to care about hiding it, right? And that's, I think, a that, lot of the mindset people kind the, of stick to. Yeah, that's the, that's the big argument against like caring about cybersecurity. One of the things Spencer points out is that we're always vulnerable and the one thing we can really work to do is make ourselves less vulnerable. You can't sit and say, I am perfectly secure. All you can do is put in the proper channels and do the proper like proactive work to ensure that you are as secure as possible, right? And I'm curious for you, how much um effort do you put into your security and ensuring that you're secure and then how how vulnerable do you feel so this is a that's an interesting question to me Mm because it's multifaceted like if you asked me this about a year and a half ago i put the bare minimum amount of effort into cybersecurity. (laughs) it was something that i did not care about I, i didn't even consider it because there's no way i of all people would get hit right but then you know over time, I guess it became more and more obvious that through my internet and through the bandwidth and um, the way that I was searching the internet and downloading things that I became a target. And so about a year ago, for me, it was really, it wasn't a thought. And then I got hit with a bunch of ransomware malware and trackers. And a lot of my stuff got compromised, which was awful, right? And to this day, I will never go back to Google Chrome. Instead, I use another browser called Brave, which is, you know, kind of similar to Google Chrome and uses a lot of its extension programs and stuff, but it protects me. Um, if you were to ask me right now, I care a lot more about my own security and my own privacy than I think I, I've ever done in my entire life. Wow. So because you were hit. That's cool. I didn't know that. I did. I did get hit. Yeah. I got hit with Korean trackers. Oh, wow. See, yeah, it was awful. A lot of my information got compromised. <laughs> I, that's interesting because you had, had like, the format everything. You had a big moment where it's like, damn, I'm really vulnerable. But for me, mm-hmm. my kind of 
push towards a more secure kind of network of devices came as I put more value on my personal work. So like at the beginning, like, or I guess when I first was kind of getting my own computer or whatever, I didn't have a lot of value in what was stored on my computer, like personally. So for me, it was whatever. I didn't put a lot of effort into anything. But now as I'm getting older and I'm doing things that I actually put like think are valuable, whether that be truly valuable or like through my own personal just um, effort in it, I want to ensure that those things are secure. And that's what nowadays I have things backed up. I have literally a hard drive backing up my laptop. I have Dropbox. I have a backup on, I have like three versions of everything now. (laughs) Yeah. And that's just, which is smart. Yeah. Because I just, I can't imagine like, you know what I mean? I can't imagine losing stuff. It would just be devastating to me. It's how many years now of work just non-existing being compromised yeah. because of clicking on one ad by yeah, accident, exactly. right? Like these issues are there's there, it's it's so funny to me um, how people will walk this really really fine line with their security online when it comes to their personal computers, their Macs, their their phones, where they're if they clicked in the wrong spot mm-hmm. once by accident, all your stuff is compromised. Yep. Right, because it's like I accidentally downloaded the exe file rather than the zip file from this half sketchy website. <laughs> my entire computer is now compromised. I have to reset, reformat. Yeah, my brother got all my information recently. Back. One of his like he has like a, like a bunch of like throwaway computers he got for really cheap at like Canada Computers. Okay. And one of them, he opened something trying to get a torrent, and then got absolutely rammed with like just ransom stuff like it shut it all down he's like interesting i have never want to have to fight one of these before <laughs> yeah that's and interesting right like, yeah now he's like all curious like how do i deal with this because there's nothing valuable actually on that hard drive he just wants to know now like what he can do to prevent or fight it like again like what was it spencer said like how can i mitigate these right. issues moving forward exactly right? and i think i think mitigate is the perfect word to describe this those set of circumstances it's the only thing you can do and it's like you can't you can't you can't you like protecting yourself yeah. is by training yourself to work around these issues mm. and avoid them as much as like, possible. I- I'm curious how much of the new safety features you have implemented. Like do you have two step verification on everything you kind of need to keep. Yes, secure? for the most part on everything that I need secure, I will have two step verification. I do verification as well. On. I love two step. Certain things, certain things I don't deem it necessary on, right? Like if like maybe if it's a game launcher or something, I don't think I need my two step on there yeah. unless my credit card is attached. Exactly. To it. Like then, then it's like in my head I understand this. But if I'm playing a free to play game, I don't think like I if care. it's like like a throwaway email we've made for some projects, like I won't put two step on that. It's pointless, mm-hmm. right? Because you're gonna know. Like what's... Club Penguin does not need <laughs> two step verification. Like let's be completely honest. <laughs> Very true. Um. I'm trying to think what other do you have cloud based stuff for your hard drives or do you have backups for your hard drives? Um, I have cloud everything. So I don't know if you know this, but I'll, I'll say this out loud. Like I, I, I pay for ex, uh, extra storage when it comes to Google, Google drive. Yeah. I pay for Dropbox. Um, so. Right. It, it, ma- it makes sense. Yeah. Right. Because like it's to me in my head as a consumer, I pay $3, which is absolutely nothing. I get 200 gigabytes of cloud storage that I can access from every computer. Yep that I go to and then which is very interesting to me because it's so convenient <laughs> and my efficiency is so high because if I leave the house without my hard drive like my external I, it doesn't mean that I'm not productive for the rest of the day well, Google, right I have access to everything else Google Drive has been very essential for this process because it's how I'm sending you the files we need to s- finish this thing right like, oh 100% like, Google Drive is so convenient in that sense where it's you just share the folder with people and then everyone who needs access has access but through their own logins it's not like they're needing your information to get access to that you're just sharing that with their you know what I mean it's good yeah and and then I think it, it, it it's grown into specifically and this might be a tangent but like yeah, a little bit, but Google Drive <laughs> Google Drive has also turned into Google Classrooms yeah. right so you could teach an entire class my web design class was taught completely through Google Drive. All the PowerPoints, all of the assignments, all of the Dropboxes are all in the same place, and it became incredibly efficient mm-hmm. and convenient. 
but then it again it becomes really interesting about a question of privacy and like is that a step too far and security is that not enough of a step right who has access to all these files now you know what i mean yeah even like talk about like this covid19 thing is i think really interesting for this kind of i'm gonna do in a little tangent too um please like government buildings you know what i mean they work with very important secure files that they can't risk ever anyone just having access to right but these government buildings are now having to push for you to move and work at home so then that be creates this whole other issue of how do we ensure people can work remotely from their homes but still keep that same level of security and what they're really what i've seen is like you know secure emails and vpns where it's they have specific access to the networks and then the IT departments will get pinged if any any file leaves that network. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So even though you're remote, you don't have the actual permission to say, I'm going to download this to my personal hard drive or send it to yeah. a unlawful or unknown email. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. I, th I think that's a really great example they bring up too, especially with the circumstances we're put into. Yeah. Good job. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so now the first thing I kind of want Spencer and let Spencer speak about when it comes to security is scammers and biggest things that not only Scotiabank, but other banks and large institutions deal with is malicious emails, spam emails. Um, some of them don't even have to have malicious links in them. They can just be an email uh, that says hi. And what those people are attempting to do is, is initiate contact. Um, a lot of what we see is social engineering. So people attempting to use some sort of information that they've been able to acquire, whether it's through a dump on the internet or whether it's through word of mouth, they'll attempt to socially engineer a person into giving them information. So um, a lot of people, and you probably have seen it as well, where you're getting calls from people that are trying to be Scotiabank or air duct cleaning or things like that. <laughs> so you get those phone calls and, and what they'll do is they'll attempt to gain any sort of information that they can from you, whether it's, um, the CRA calling saying that they need your SIN number, whether it's Scotiabank quote unquote saying that they want your, they need your pin number to reset your account, anything like that. These people will attempt to gain that information from you so that they, if maybe they're not as technical, they can use that information to leverage some money or, you know, steal an account. And that's just the beginning of being able to gain access to a system. Well, I yeah. So I'm going to start off by asking you, how often do you receive scam calls or, or scam emails? Uh, so at least two to three times a week. Yeah, dude. Some days you'll get them like it's five in a row. It's like, what did I yeah. do to get on these people's radar? Yeah, I don't know. Like, who, I want to know who's selling my phone number on the dark <laughs> web because that's what they do, right? Like, I'm, I want to know who's doing it because I want to have a conversation with that person because I've had days where I've had upwards of 10. Yeah. I think right around the new year. How do you react to them? Honestly, man, I just, I just, if it's a phone number that I don't recognize, I do not answer the call, which that works, is... which is awful, right? Because if I have an important interview or someone from the school is calling me, et cetera, that I don't have their number saved, I can't respond to their, um, to their phone call, mm -hmm. right? But I don't know how else I can protect myself in this situation when it comes to these types of phone calls. So what I do when it comes to the journalism aspects, when I need to do interview calls, I'll send them my phone number and I get them to share their phone number through email regardless before the call. Whether Unless it's a cold call, then that's regardless. I share it over the voicemail if they don't answer. But yeah. I, try to, I try to get – I try to reach a – how do I say that? I try to, I reach out and I make a connection before I make the call. I try to at least because, and then I try to schedule the call too, because then there isn't a fear of who am I, who's answering right now? Who am I talking to right now? They understand who I am, what my intent is. And there isn't that fear that I might just be some liar on the phone. <laughs> yeah. 
that's that's fair. That's fair. I think that's a smart way. Yeah. Of, uh, and I like mitigating how, the situation. And if they want to call me, I like to know their number beforehand too, because then I know what I'm looking for. I don't like answering the phone at all if I don't know who's yeah. calling me. Of course. And what Spencer brought up, and I'm just going to talk about it here because I want to hear your opinion on this, is that, reg- like, do you ever answer with, like, or do you have friends that answer with, like, a dumb response? Like, they're kind of, like, playing into it a little bit, or they'll say, hey, I actually have duct cleaning service myself. Would you need your ducts cleaned? <laughs> yeah, I, I have a couple of friends who will yeah, do uh, I have silly stuff like that. that. Yeah. And apparently that doesn't actually help your situation because if you're willing to answer the call, there's no way to get you – that to them is a, significant, is a signifier that you're vulnerable and they're going to keep calling you. So you can't answer and say, hey, take me off your calling list. That's only going to make it worse. There's literally yeah. nothing you can do but ignore the call that's going to actually – stop them from saying these people aren't worth calling i think that's real i think that i think that relates very specifically to the social engineering which i think is the most interesting point that he he made that they're trying to manipulate the way that you act and react to these scammer situations which you know are scammer situations but by pressing certain buttons and allowing you know that little interaction is the signifier to like, yeah, we're going to keep attacking this guy. Or like if this, for example, my grandmother or my mother, if they're like, take me off your calling list, that is a signifier that they want to continue. I think that's so interesting. Yeah. Well, the in social his... dynamics of scammers. Yeah. Well, that social, what did, what did you, what did we call it? He called it social engineering yeah. people. So that social engineering is one of the biggest parts of his line of work. It's not finding vulnerabilities it's ensuring everybody that has access to their network aren't making the system vulnerable. You know what I mean? It's okay. it's training. It's social. It's human. It's training people. Yeah, it's training people to understand the threats and making sure that they're doing their part individually to ensure that threats aren't finding ways in. Because how he explains it is that with big systems and 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 um, valuable systems like Social Bank. There's always new ways to gain access and the hackers or malicious people with that intent to, uh, with the malicious intent are always going to find new ways to gain access. And the only thing they can do is stay, is constantly be changing and adapting to those new um, methods while still making sure that those old methods are a closed gate. Does that make sense? Yes. It yeah. Does. So it's an ever-changing world, and they can never sleep. Essentially. <laughs> yeah. I think that I think that's that's just a, a complex set of circumstances that when you have to train people to avoid that, I think that becomes so much more complex yeah. of a job. Because they're not trying to trick your system or your firewall; they're trying to trick the people that already have access to it. <laughs> do is they'll spoof numbers so they'll make it a 705 number for yeah you know they they know that i have a 705 number you probably have like a 905 705 whatever um and they'll call from a 705 number you answer the phone they will continue to call you you can tell them to put you on a on a blacklist you can tell them anything you want you can tell them to kicks fucking salt whatever you want to say to them but it won't <laughs> matter they're still going to call if you keep answering yeah um because they can spoof phone numbers it's not illegal to spoof a phone number it's incredibly easy i could spoof your phone number right now just by having it it's it's very easy there's it, really yeah it's and that's why it's something like we deal with it all the time we were we i can't obviously go into much detail yeah no, about exactly specific things but there have been cases where people are are getting spam phone calls from scotiabank um numbers that say that they're scotiabank but it's very easy to spoof that number if you have it you can go online and and there's websites that'll let you make a call from a specific number um and they do that to garner that trust. And then they people see, oh, this calls from TD Bank. Okay, maybe it's okay if they ask me for my PIN number. I can give them my PIN number. This is, maybe is from CRA. I can give them my SIN number. So that's something that's huge, and there's not much we can do about it because you can't track that stuff. You can't stop. You can't call the police and say, they're calling for my number. They can't do anything. It's it's a waste of resources, and it's, it's more just making people aware and having that awareness 
globally to be like, okay, you know, if you're, there's specific things that banks, CRA, you know, CPP, all these things, they won't ask you for your PIN number over the phone. They won't ask, they don't need your PIN number. They don't need your SIN number. They, they have that stuff if they need it. So it's all about creating that awareness. I, I didn't know about uh, spoofing phone numbers. I didn't know that was a thing. And I think that's incredibly interesting when you put it into the perspective of scammers because I have had like random phone numbers that are like six four seven or four one six nine oh five like all the time. That's like, the ones that get me. like yeah, those are the ones that are because they seem like they are local, like someone right. you would know, right? Like maybe this is someone who I accidentally deleted their phone right. number. Maybe it's an it's a it's a it's a past lover trying to reconnect. And maybe that opportunity for a reconnection exists. And I answer that phone call and it's the CRA asking for my SIN number. Or and it's just like, this doesn't make the sense. The big thing for me is like, <laughs> I applied for a job or I applied for internship. Maybe this is that opportunity reaching out to me. And you almost kind of yeah. say, okay, let's hear what this has to say. And then you're just kind of bothered because now you've answered the phone and now they know that you're vulnerable and you hate it. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it comes back to you, right? And it comes back to you. Yeah. And it becomes terrifying to me. Um. And I, I think the most interesting thing that he said is that there's no way of tracking it and there's no way of stopping it other than uh, just like not answering the phone calls when it comes to spoofed emails because you can't call the police. Well, how does Canada deal with scammers in another country? They can't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how is Canada going to put resources into shutting down a call center in halfway across the world? It's just ridiculous. Yeah, they can't. Yeah. It, it just doesn't make it's, sense. It's, it's sad. a waste of resources, a waste of time because it's going to go nowhere. Yeah. Would you say um, – do, do you think that anyone's ability to spoof your phone number, like, does that concern you? I think so. You think – I think I think because then it would compromise my phone number, right. and then the moment people are like, "Yeah, Tyler's phone is compromised," like I'm getting spam calls from him, like does that mean I have to change my phone number now so I can protect all my loved ones who I'm trying to communicate with? Like, well, that's the that, thing that that, that trouble. I think a lot of people end up changing their phone numbers because of that if there's a malicious person who's trying to ruin your reputation or whatever that may be, and they know your phone number, that's a big vulnerability. You people will change their phone numbers to ensure that those people that they need out of their lives cannot contact them or find a way to trick people into thinking you're the one contacting them. You know, even like your Twitter account gets hacked or something. Like, how much value should people put in what someone tweeted? Because who knows if they even are the ones who tweeted it? You know, what I mean, how secure is your Twitter account? That's uh, a quality question. Unfortunately, I don't have an answer, <laughs> but it, it raises a lot of great questions that need to be asked, answered, yeah. and should be put at the forefront of a consumer's mind. Well, like I think a really recent story was if you know if you know UFC fighters or not, um, the welterweight champion, his name's um, what's his first name? Omaro, I want to say. His last name is Usman. He's the welterweight champ. He while watching a fight live, his Twitter account was hacked and they tweeted profanity, they tweeted threats at another fighter, they tweeted all these different things like way out of character for Usman. And it's interesting because the reaction to those tweets was that, oh, he didn't write this. It was someone who hacked him. There's no way he wrote any of this. And that's, I think, um, a very mature response to something like that. Because I think it's easy for anyone to be like, oh, that was him. We have to cancel this guy. This person needs to be punished for the words that he wrote. But yeah, when you have a public figure or a public reputation, I think it's good to keep that in mind when you're reading something. I mean, like, could they have said I think, this? I think I agree with that. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. So then when you hear rumors about somebody you know from work or something, what they did, you got to really think about your own concept of them or your idea of them. Is this possible? How much weight should I put on t- School boards and hospitals are a big one where there's they, they, they run on older systems because mm-hmm. it's cheaper. Yeah. And, you know, you don't have as much money as a bank or as, you know, a major company would have to work with. So, um, for example, schools, a lot of the time they will, like I was saying earlier how we are our own client, but other companies have multiple clients. So school boards, hospitals, 
bigger institutions that maybe don't have as much money will hire other companies as their as essentially their investigators mm-hmm. to, to help them do what I do, except on a different level. So sometimes the best course of action is to pay the ransomware. And sometimes that's what happens. They, they pay it. And it's especially if you've, ha- if you have an infection of 400 machines, nearly impossible to be able to remediate all those machines. If you have an infection of one machine, different, because if you have one ransomware on one machine, you can isolate that machine. It won't spread through the network. Oh, wow. It won't You disconnect from the network, shut it off. It can't do anything. It's on that machine, but it can't do anything. So then you would go through and say, okay, what kind of information is on that machine? What kind of information do we have there that this attacker could use? And, and you have to decide, okay, do we want to just nuke this machine, re-image it completely and start from scratch? Or do we want to pay this ransomware, ensure that we get our files back? It's all about seeing if there's any exfiltration of data. Um, There's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, If it's a machine that has, you know, really important information on it, then yeah, sure, maybe you'd want to reach out to the person that's actually doing it. Um, Because that's a practice that happens. You reach out to the actual people and work out a deal. And because a lot of these actors, they just want money. They're, They're not doing it to you know, screw with your life. They want your money. So they're pretty reasonable in terms of saying, okay, you know, we'll pay you this. Can you ensure that we get those files back and that you don't exfiltrate them to another thing? And they say, yep, just give me my money. So they, it's when it's 400 machines, it's probably easier to pay it and and go through that process. That's the whole thing. How knowledgeable are you on about this trend of ransomware hitting these bigger institutions like hospitals or school boards? or even government institutions. I, I am probably, I have like an average amount of information right. on it. Like I, I understand, like I'm not a lot, like I'm not no expert on it, but like I understand how the system would work. And yeah, so it's a, like at a, at a baseline big level. trend and a big problem. These hospitals or schools, they have older, um, cheaper systems that are almost really hard to update because if you're a hospital with all these like, Talk about the amount of records they have to have on patients, right? So these hospital records are in a system. And to transfer them over to something new, A, is risky because you might lose stuff along the way. And B, it's expensive. So they end up just sticking to these older systems. And those older systems mean more vulnerability. So it's interesting to say that there we live in a world where your system could be hit with ransomware... And it's actually more cost effective for you to pay that ransom than to say we need to find a way to recover them or start over. Anything? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually it's actually such an interesting prospect that um, a company would rather like I'm just gonna pay the guy who's who's who. I'm just going to pay the ransom rather than, you know, like, let me solve this, like, tr- the traditional way, just out of convenience, out of saving money. And and it it becomes really interesting because it's like at some point a corporation's like, do they have a budget for this? Do they account for this in their budget where it's like, yeah, this is our our quarterly amount of our budget that we're allowed to spend in case one of you, <laughs> like, in case IT can't solve I, I one don't, of the I ransomware issues. I don't think issues. it's a thing of budget. I think it's a very calculated attack so these hackers know how much money it would cost for these systems to be updated or the systems to be recovered and they put the ransom price at a very specific number okay so when they attack whether that be a hospital or a school they know how much they can afford and they know how much it's going to cost to not pay them so they put that dollar amount exactly where it needs to be to ensure that they're going to get their money back or not their money, but they're gonna get their money. It's not back. Yeah, they don't own that money. Like they're they're they're, they're how much they can take. Yeah, without it's it. smart. It's okay. very organized. It's terrifying in that sense because, and to even say, like the reality of it is that these people are fairly trustworthy. Like they're infecting your systems with this ransomware, but if they start a precedent where you pay them the ransom and they don't actually give you your data back, then no one's ever going to pay a ransomware ever again because it's you yeah. can't trust these hackers 
So they actually have to create precedent where, no, you can trust us. We will give you your data back. Please give us our money. <laughs> Just the nicest scammers. Yeah, there's right. some crazy stories. Just the, the, nice, the nicest evil You'll get ransomware you. with, like, these, like, there's stories when it comes to these institutions getting ransomware. And it comes with instructions, a, a call, like a line, like um, an information, like um, a tech support line, essentially. Like, call us and we'll walk you through it. It gives you the link to the Bitcoin thing and how to do Bitcoin and how to send them the money. It's like a whole wow. thing. Like, they're very helpful people. <laughs> they just want to scam you on your money. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's incredibly interesting. <laughs> like, it's, it's, just a, it's a very interesting, like, interaction that you have to have between yeah. the company and... The, and the people who are infiltrating and, like, putting your information What out. has to happen is there needs to be security, like, IT um, experts that come up with a system that can truly recover. Like, it's not – no, it's not IT people have to think of some magic thing. It's those institutions have to invest now in ensuring that whether that be an old system or not, there's backups for their data. So they can sacrifice the data when it gets hit with a ransomware. That's all they really have to do. If they actually have proper backups, then everything can get recovered. And then it's just putting in that work and that being proactive about the fact that our systems are old and our systems are vulnerable. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of those things that don't really affect us personally, but could. You know what I mean? I feel I feel like if we worked for like a larger corporation or at a hospital or a school, like I think, like that's something that would be a little bit more in the forefront of our minds. Yeah, we definitely it's, it's, need it's, it's affecting too. our work, right? Oh, absolutely. And that again right? goes back to like that idea of human error. It's all up to us. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all 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 up to us as the human beings. Because at the end of the day, we're the reasons that it's gonna happen. But we're also the reasons mm-hmm. that it's not gonna yeah. happen. So, do you have any final thoughts before I wrap this boy up? Like, uh, yeah, I don't think I have any final thoughts specifically on that topic. And in general, I think actually, you know what? In general, I do have a thought. Okay. Um, so one of the arguments that I find that I when I speak about cybersecurity with um, with uh, friends or family, it, it's this concern about why would I be attacked? Why? Who am I? Am I important enough? to be attacked in these situations why would someone be interested in my information and it, it they raise the question or they, they draw the comparison to someone who's powerful an opinion leader mm-hmm. who has a lot of money and a lot of wealth those are the people that you would assume would be more likely to be attacked in those situations like i think someone's more likely to attack a multi-millionaire than like a struggling college student right and i think i think that's wrong i don't think that's the way i think it doesn't matter to who is being attacked or tracked it's just cybersecurity and privacy needs to be taken care of it needs to be made needs to be maintained regardless of who you are and i think it's important for us as people in a working society to have this on our minds especially with the interconnected interconnected nature of the internet and how influential that is on our day-to-day lives. We need to consider our privacy, consider security, and consider protecting ourselves the same way that when you look left and right when crossing the street, (laughs) that we should be looking left and right and taking care of our information and our privacy and taking into consideration things that are around us. Yeah, it's it's understanding the reality that this is a new world where internet and all the dangers involved in it are our new reality and the new norm. And there isn't a way to really avoid yes. it because you can't adapt to the way the society works anymore if you aren't willing to take those risks and put yourself in a vulnerable situation. Yeah. Like I don't I don't believe the solution to this is being ignorant and complacent. Yeah. I think I think the solution to this problem is looking at it, seeing what the problem is, and learning as a person, as an individual, how to mitigate these issues, yep. right? And until that happens in a, the grand scheme of things and s- cybersecurity and privacy is taken to that next level of concern, I don't think that, you know, these scammers or any of these issues are going to go away. I think that's a 
great way to end it. Thank you for joining me, Tyler. Well, you thank you for having me, Stephen. Great co-host, I must say. Wow, yeah. I appreciate that. I... Coming from you, that's a quality. <laughs> that's a quality statement right there, I brother. That's a quality enjoyed this statement. Conversation, and I'm sorry it was no, so rough. <laughs>